Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We've been in a series in Matthew called Our King and His Kingdom. In Matthew 1 through 4, he's been telling us that our king has come. And in Matthew 4, Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom. He says, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he uh, goes into the the region. He's spoken. He's teaching uh, the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing the crowds. Uh, He's taught them. And now he's on a hillside here in Matthew chapter 5. Talking with his disciples, it says that the disciples in Matthew 5 verse 1, it says the disciples came to him and now he's teaching them. And I, and I believe in Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16, he's going to teach us one of the most important things we can understand about what it means to be a disciple. Okay, He's going to help us see that being a disciple of Jesus is a call for us to live from our identity as disciples of Jesus for God's glory. So we as disciples, we live from our identity as disciples, not for it. Okay, we live from an identity that we've received. Jesus Christ has lived and died in our place. He's rose from the grave so that all who place their faith and hope in him might be saved. Our our identity as disciples is something we are given. It's a gift. It's not something we achieve. So we live from that, not for that. And then as disciples, we live for the glory of God. We don't live for our glory. We live for his glory. And this is critically important that we understand because everything in the world tells us to live for an identity so that people will see us, not from an identity so people will glorify God. Everything in the world tells us to make more so people will be impressed, to do more so that you can be noticed, to be more so that you can stand out, and it's killing us. This constant uh, call to live for an identity rather than from one is killing us. The, the comparison's killing us. The competition's killing us. The constant consumption is killing us. When we live for an identity rather than from one that we've received, we spend our lives thinking that more is our answer. And that gets us in a couple of places. Either it makes us proud and lonely. We're proud because we think we've done something and we're lonely because we had to destroy everybody else to get there. Or we end up in despair because we realize more is never going to be enough. There's always going to be somebody better, smarter, faster with more. And so it ends up in despair. Well, Jesus offers us a better way. Jesus Jesus calls his disciples to live from their identity as his disciples for his glory rather than living for some sense of identity we can achieve so that people will see us. And my hope today is that we would leave here just rooted, rooted in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and then just launched to live for his glory in the world. That's my hope. That's my hope today. So I'm going to read Matthew 5. We're going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 16. Uh, Then I'll pray and we'll jump into God's word. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and it gives light, excuse me, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come to you now, not, not simply because this is what we do, um, not simply because we're used to coming to church on a Sunday or because we uh, wanted to come. Lord, we come to you because we have nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of life. And Lord, we pray to you now because you and you alone are able to open up our eyes and our hearts to see wonderful things from your word. Lord, my words are not sufficient to speak to hearts. Only you, Holy Spirit, only you know the hearts in this room. Only you know how this word needs to penetrate those hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through your word today. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be soft and and ready to receive the seed of your word and that, that your word would produce fruit in our lives. And Lord, our only hope for any of that is for you to do it. So we humbly ask for you to do what only you can in our lives today. We're submitting our lives to you. We're submitting this time to you. And we do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to see two things today. We're going to see that disciples live from, not for. Okay? Disciples live from, not for. And disciples glorify God, not themselves. Those two things. Let's start with disciples live from, not for. Now, remember the context here, okay? Uh, In verse 1, Jesus goes up on the hillside. His disciples come to him. And Jesus starts to tell his disciples about this kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not like the world they're living in. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's, It's a place where his disciples embrace weakness, not power. So they embrace their spiritual bankruptcy. They say to God, I'm poor in spirit. There's nothing I can do to make myself a disciple. I need your grace. Uh, disciples embrace weakness, not power. And, and disciples embrace an other-centered ethic. They're, they don't embrace a self-centered life. They embrace an other-centered ethic. So they're showing mercy and they're making peace. And then disciples embrace persecution rather than comfort. When, when we are persecuted for Jesus' sake, not for being weird, but for Jesus' sake, when we're, uh, when we're persecuted for that, we embrace that rather than seeking after comfort that we might find when we don't stand for righteousness. And here Jesus continues speaking to these same disciples and he explains something to them. He tells them who they are. If you, he says, if you are pursuing this kind of path, if you are a disciple, this is what's true of you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now notice, he doesn't say, You should aspire to be salt and light. He doesn't say you should try to be salt and light. He tells them this is who you are as a disciple of Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus, you are salt. You are light. He tells them who they are, their identity, and they are to live out who they are in the world. So, What does he mean by salt? What does he mean by light? 
Well, we, uh, we use the term salty. We kind of throw that around. That person's salty. This person's kind of salty today. And usually what we mean is they're, ha- they're, in a bad ad- they're in a bad mood or they have a bad attitude. Maybe things didn't go their way. And we just say, oh, he's being salty today. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. We also use the phrase, man, those are salt of the earth people. And, and what we mean by that is they're just, they're just good folk. You know, they're just good, good people. That's not what Jesus is talking about either. When he talks about being the salt of the earth, he's talking about this identity that disciples have and that they live from. And when he's talking about salt, he's talking about two particular uses for salt in this day when Jesus is speaking. First one is salt brings flavor. Salt brings flavor. We know that. Like most of us know immediately if food doesn't have salt. And some of us start salting our food before we taste it. I've got some people I cook for on occasion who that's exactly what they did. As soon as the food is on the plate, the salt shaker is emptied on top of it. I'm like, look, I'm offended right now because I think that tastes good. Why are you covering it with salt? Uh, My stepdad's like that. Like as soon, just salt everywhere as soon as it's on his plate. And we we do that because they like the taste of seawater apparently. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they want it to be salty, have flavor. Another way salt is used is for preservation, okay? Uh, No refrigerators back in Jesus' day, no vacuum sealers uh, back in Jesus' day. So if they wanted to preserve something that was going to decay, like meat, they would cover it with salt. And this made salt very, very valuable. Very, very valuable. And so Jesus does not give them a command about salt like he does about light. We'll get there in a minute. There's a command that says, let your light shine. He doesn't give a command about salt. Rather, Jesus is saying, this is who you are. And he's assuming that they're going to do what salt does. That salt's going to bring flavor to the world. Hopefully good flavor. Christians are so often known for not bringing good flavor to the spaces we occupy. And that it's going to provide a type of preservation where we're going to be a, a, a preserving force, in the, a preserving presence in the world that seeks to preserve things that will decay. Jesus is assuming that since this is who we are, that we're going to live in that sort of way. Now, I want us to think about some things for these disciples sitting on this mountainside listening. First, I want us to think about how small they are. Like if we're generous, there's 50 people there. I mean, that's, and that's generous. Okay? If we're generous, there's about 50 people there listening to Jesus talk about who they are as salt of the earth. Think about they have no political power. Rome is occupying their, their uh, geography. They have no, no political power at all. And, and Rome's doing that on their taxes. They have no economic power. These people were mostly poor people. They have no power at all. And yet Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're to go into the world and and be a a flavor and a a preserving presence. Can you imagine how intimidated they would have been by even that assertion? And yet Jesus calls them to it. To live from your identity as the salt of the earth. To bring flavor and to preserve. And then Jesus gives them a warning in verse 13. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, the salt that Jesus is talking about here came from salt marshes, mostly. 
when we think of salt, we think of sodium chloride. It's a very stable compound. It doesn't lose its salt. I used to want to be a chemical engineer, so that kind of nerded me out this week. So um, salt that we use on our table doesn't typically lose its saltiness. But the salt that came from salt marshes would have been blended with other various minerals, that, um, and salt would have diluted quicker than some of those minerals. And so the salt that came from salt marshes would lose its saltiness. And Jesus' point here is for his disciples to be very concerned that their discipleship not, under his kingdom not be mixed with discipleship in the world. The, the concern here is that these disciples would live into their, their identity as disciples of a new king and a new kingdom and not be uh, deluded by the message and the kingdom of the world. And his point is, if, you, if your salt loses its saltiness, it, it doesn't really have a good purpose. It's just to be thrown out. And his concern here is that we would live into our identity as followers of Jesus, that we would live into that as the salt of the earth. Then he tells them, you're the light of the world in verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Notice, you are the light of the world. Not you seek to be, not you aspire to be, not you should be. You are. This is what disciples are. We are the light of the world. And think about what light does. Light brightens a space. Light reveals. I, I wore a, a black shirt this morning, and when I left my house, it was dark, and I walked outside after the sun had come up and just see everything all over my black shirt today. <laughs> light reveals things. And when the light of the world is in the world, it's going to reveal some things. It's going to reveal sin. It's also going to reveal grace. And when sin is revealed and grace is revealed, people have an opportunity to know the one who came as the light of the world. Jesus, who came to die so that we could get grace to pay for our sin. But Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And, he, and he, he wants us to shine, he says. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. So what he's calling us to do there is to live from our identity as the light of the world. You're a light, be who you are. That's what he wants us to do. And so there's two important questions for us as we think about this idea of disciples living from, not for. The first important question is this, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? In other words, have you, uh, have you personally said to Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I know that you died on a cross in my place so that I could be forgiven and free and made new. And the question is, have you personally done that? Not has your mom and dad done that or your brother done that or somebody else in your family done that? Have you put all your hope in him, surrendered all your life to him? Are you, are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm really excited uh, next week and the next, next few weeks, actually, we have some people to be baptized. Some people uh, to be baptized to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I'm so excited about that. And when we think about this idea of living as salt and light in the world, the first question, most important question is, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? 
And then another important question is, are you living from that identity? Are you living for another one? Now listen, this, this whole concept of living from our identity as God's people rather than for our identity in some other way is really critically important to me personally. I grew up as a, as a, as a kid who kind of in, um, internalized the message that you are what you achieve, you are what you accomplish, you are what you're able to do. And so I had a very, very high bar of what I wanted to, to do and try to be and all those things. And I was driven and, you know, athletics, music, academics. I was doing all those things, hoping against hope that one day I'd be enough. And about 30 years ago, man, that's a big number. But about 30 years ago, I came across this verse since 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where Paul writes, by the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I can't tell you how my heart came alive when I read that. It was almost like I got saved again. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not, not because of what someone says about me, not because of what I achieve, not because of what I accomplish, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. This free gift of God's goodness to me, given through the death of his son on the cross in my place. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And, and I see here in this verse that became so important to me, this promise, this, this offer of an identity rooted in the grace of God and this, this opportunity to serve out of that identity with all the strength that his grace would provide. And so grace doesn't sideline me to, to, to something that where I just kind of exist as this thing, but it drives us to mission. It drives us to purpose. Not for something, but from something. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, than any of them, Paul says. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Man, that, I, cannot, I cannot explain to you how much that changed my life. And, and Paul's sentiment there is echoing the words of Jesus, where he says, you are the salt of the earth. Do what salt does. You are the light of the world. Do what light does. We're not called to aspire to be that. We are that and we live out of who we are. That's what it means to be a disciple. Disciples live from, not for. Second, disciples glorify God, not themselves. Disciples glorify God, not themselves. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Disciples, disciples live so that people see their works and glorify God. Those who are not disciples live so that people will see their works and glorify them. Jesus is calling us to live as the light of the world, to shine our light in such a way that people see our works and glorify God. And so we are to live in such a way that people see what we're doing. We're as salt, we're to preserve what's beautiful, we're to bring flavor to a tasteless world. As light, we're to bring light into dark places. 
And we're to do this so that our works can be seen. So this is not like fasting or praying or giving that he's going to mention in chapter 6 that we're to do without being seen. These are works of kindness and compassion and generosity in the world that we can do so that they will be seen for the purpose of glorifying God. That's, what, that's how disciples live. We, we glorify God, not ourselves. So two important questions here. Who do you want to be praised for your behavior? Who do you want to be praised for your behavior? There's something in most of us, in all of us, that kind of wants to be seen and praised for what we do. I I loaded the dishwasher. You know, we, we, if, if you do that and no one notices, did it really happen, right? So there, there, there's this thing in us where we want to be, we want our works to be seen and we want to be praised. A disciple wants our works to be seen so that God can be praised. That's what disciples are. Another thing we should ask, so we, we should ask ourselves, who do I want, who do, who do I want others to praise for my behavior? Second, What if we thought of verse 16 just a little differently, okay? Now, the point of the verse is that you and I, as disciples of Jesus, are to let our light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So that's that's the point of the verse, okay? We are living our lives as light so that others see it and glorify God. What if we put ourselves in the place of the others in the verse, so we're, we're, we're just, let's step out of the role of living as light, but let's put ourselves in the place of others for a moment who are seeing. And what if we as a church were known as those who encouraged others as worship to God? What if we said, what if we were known as a church as people who would say things like, hey, listen, I've seen you serving in Exodus Kids. And I just want you to know, you are so patient with those children. God has given you such compassion and patience and, and grace to do that. And I just want you to know that I've seen that and I'm giving God glory for what he's given to you. Or, hey, hey, I've seen you playing that instrument on stage. I know that it takes time to practice and learn and get better. And I just want you to know I'm grateful for all the time you put in to do that. I'm grateful to God for giving you the determination and the willingness to sacrifice time to to get better so that you can lead us in worship. And I just want you to know I've seen it and I'm giving God glory for it. What What if we were known as a church as those kinds of people? who were so encouraging and so worshipful. A friend of mine says, you will never meet anyone who is too encouraged. And God will never be too glorified. What if we were known as people who said, hey, I've seen your light and God gets glory for it. Disciples, disciples live from, not for. Disciples seek to glorify God not glorify themselves. And so how do we apply this? Just one, one thing this week. And that's this. Be who you are, where you are. Jesus says, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. 
And he says, nobody puts a, a, a candle under a basket, particularly them. Like they, they, they wouldn't have had just candles lying around. They wouldn't have had Walmart down the street. Like they, they would have wanted to use a candle well. So they put it on a stand so it lights the whole house. Be who you are, where you are. As disciples of Jesus, as those who have been defined not by our work, but by his grace, as those who have come to Jesus, the one who died in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven and free and sent into the world as salt and light. We as disciples of Jesus are to be who we are, where we are, wherever God has placed you. So often we think about being a disciple in places we're not. We, we don't think about being a disciple in our home. We don't think about being salt and light in our home. Our first neighbors are those who live with us. Be salt and light there. Be who you are, where you are. In our work relationships, I know that's a little more complicated now because many of our interactions with work are, are mediated through a screen and not across a table. Be salt and light there. Be who you are, where you are. In our neighborhood, in our school, online, be salt and light. Be who you are, where you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's called us to live as salt, to live as light, to bring flavor and preservation into, into a world that so desperately needs it, and to bring light into darkness. Now, perhaps you're feeling the weight of that calling like these disciples were. Again, can you imagine being on a hillside with, again, generously less than 50 people? And you're hearing this one that you know to be the Messiah saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the whole world. And you're looking around going, us? This? And you, you know you have no, no political power. You know you have no economic power. You know you have none of that. And yet Jesus is calling you to be who you are, where you are. To be the salt. He's saying you are salt. You are light. Now live from that identity in the world. Can you imagine how overwhelming that was for them? And yet Jesus looks at this group of people. It says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine so that people see it. Don't, don't, don't put it under a basket. Let it shine so people see it. And then they'll see your good works and the glorify your father who's in heaven. And again, maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, my light seems really, really small. One of my favorite preachers is a man named uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, he said this about this passage. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, We almost despise a candle in these days of the electric light, yet small lights are useful and tiny lamps have their sphere. He says, God has many small lights. In his, in his great house, he has candles as well as stars, and he would not have even a small light wasted. 
He says, we cannot afford to lose a ray of light in this misty, foggy, beclouded sky of ours. The church and the world need all the light that has been provided and much more. Your light, my friend, may be but a farthing rushlight. Now, I had to look that up. Okay, I had to Google that because I had no idea what a farthing rushlight is. And, and what it is, it's almost a wick. Like there's very little wax on it. it. It almost looked like, you know, half a birthday candle. It's very, very small. Very, very fragile. Very, very frail. Didn't, doesn't look like it would put off much light at all for very long. He says, you, your light may be but a farthing rushlight, but you must not hide it. For all lights are of God and are sent with a kind and gracious purpose by the great Father of lights. And he says, you are a little light. But if the Lord has given you even a spark of the sacred fire, he means that you should shine. And so disciples of Jesus, he calls us to be who we are, where we are. And he has said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's shine. Let's do that individually. Let's do that as a church. Let's shine his light into the world. For his glory, not ours. For his. And let's do that together. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful So grateful for your kindness. We're so grateful for your goodness to us. We're really grateful that you would love us so much that you would send your one and only son, not just to teach us, not just to live uh, the life we should live, but to die in our place, to die on the cross for our sin. Lord, we we are humbled by that. We are just overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace in that. And so, Lord, we come to you and just so grateful. Lord, it can be, it can be hard to receive an identity rather than achieve one because everything in us and everything around us wants to achieve it. So, Lord, would you give grace even for us to get grace so that our hearts might be settled and rooted in your grace, that by the grace of God, we are who we are. And then, Lord, would you just ignite a passion for us to shine our light in the world in such a way that our works are seen and the Father is glorified. Lord, help us with that. Help us live that way. Give us a sense of passion and calling and persistence to live that way, to live as who we are, where we are. Help us, Lord. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus together. Amen.